Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. The central focus, the primary emphasis, if you will, of the book of Revelation is Jesus. Listen to the very first verse of the first chapter, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. At the very beginning of the book, it talks about its primary reason, its central focus, and it's Jesus. And here in chapter 5, where we find ourselves today, we see Jesus in a very prominent and very powerful way. Look at what it says, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. This, this scroll, it's mentioned eight times here in chapter 5. And it's only mentioned nine times in the entire 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. And eight of them are right here in chapter 5. As you might remember from last week, John had heard the voice come up here. He's in heaven. And he sees all kinds of things. He sees the elders. He sees the seven lamps of fire. He's got the four living creatures, the throne. And now as he's there and he's looking and he's examining heaven, he sees something that he hadn't seen before, something different. And it's kind of like John is, is starting to take in his surroundings around him as he's in heaven, getting his bearing, so to speak. It's like if you were to step into this room for the first time and you just started looking around. You go, oh, they, they got windows. They got some plants outside those windows. Oh, they got some screens up there. There's a keyboard. There's a, there's a pulpit. There's, there's weird people. You just start looking around. And, and John is, is taking in heaven. He's, he's looking around. And the whole experience he begins to share. There's certain action and movement, and, and, and John has this wonderful, amazing privilege to be there. And he says, now I see something in the right hand of the one who's on the throne. And the right hand, when, when that's mentioned in Scripture, it, it, it's, and especially someone who's seated on a throne, when you mention their right hand, it's a symbol of, of strength, it's a symbol of might, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of uh, power. It's like if you were to say, yeah, this guy over here, he's my right-hand man. This, this is the symbol here. There's a right hand being seen. It's got a scroll in it, and it represents power. And John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, we would look at that today and say, hey, in the right hand, there's a book. It's got these seals on it. And it's not like a normal book. It's, it's got writing outside and, and inside. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now, now, some of you might remember if you're old enough, and some of you won't remember. Things back in ancient days, they called letters. 
You guys remember those? <laughs> I, I used to write letters to my fiance, to my girlfriend, Lynn. When I graduated from college, I went to a Bible college in Lakeland, Florida. She was there. We met. And when I graduated, I moved back here. This is my hometown. And Lynn, my wife, my fiance, my girlfriend at that time, well, she went back to West Springfield, Massachusetts. That's where she was from. And for quite a while during that separation period, and this goes back to ancient times, we wrote letters, letters. It was a time when, when back in those days, there were pay phones on corners. Anybody remember those? Ever watch Superman? There were pay phones, people used typewriters. They went to libraries and they bought encyclopedias. This is like back, way, way back. Covered wagons, remember those? So once upon a time, a long, long time ago, I wrote these letters, and I wrote them because, believe it or not, they charged you to make a long-distance phone call. So I didn't have any money, just out of college, and calls were expensive, so, so I would write letters, and we would call each other on Friday nights. That was kind of like our time to connect verbally on the phone and have to pay for it, and, and I, I never was good on the phone. Still not. My wife always says, why are you so deadpan on the phone? I, I just couldn't say things on the phone that I could write in a letter. I could write a letter. Boy, it was romantic. It was mushy. It was kind of, I could say things in the letter that I could never say on the phone. So I'd write the letter. I'd put her name on it, Lynn. Norton, that was her maiden name. I'd draw a little heart or something on it. And I would pray that she would be the only one who would open that letter. <laughs> I would seal it. And this is the symbolism here. This, this scroll is, is sealed. There's only one who has the authority and, and the power. And also, I would underline this word many times. The only one, there's only one in heaven worthy to open this scroll. Seven seals. And in that day, there was only two things that would have seven seals on it. A seal would be a, usually a wax-type dripping that would cover the area where the scroll was folded and the signet ring of the person who sent it would be stuck in it to identify the sender. Well, this one has seven seals. And it's in the right hand of the one who has power and authority. It's covered front and back. And it tells us in verse 2, as, we, as, as, as John is taking in heaven and he's looking all this, he said, I, I saw the scroll, I saw the seals, I, I saw it in the right. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. What is a, a strong angel look like? I mean, he says, this is a strong angel. Are there, I wonder, are, there like, are they like weak angels? <laughs> like you see some angels and you go, this guy's an angel? <laughs> but this is a strong angel. And it, and it tells, if you, if you flipped over, let's say, well, I think I have, have the, the chapter 10, verse 1, it talks about it. It says, 
I still, I saw still another mighty same word for strong coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So here in the same book, different chapter, another strong angel is actually described, and he's, he's got this overwhelming, heavenly, colorful cloud, rainbow, face like sun, feet like pillars of fire. It's a powerful, heavenly being. And John says, I saw this angel proclaiming, kind of like uh, preaching, really, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? So he's, he's, he's proclaiming, preaching a question. Who, who's worthy to open it? Is there anybody? And there's a crowd listening. It's, it's, a, it's a crowd that's engaged. In fact, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 5, you get a glimpse of the amount of beings in heaven as this proclaiming is going forth. I looked, verse 11, chapter 5, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the number of them, and here's the number, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's an interesting term. It's like you and I saying uh, there's a gazillion, trillion, gazillion people there. It, it's, a, it's a literal term in that day that has to do with something that's innumerable. It's like someone asked me once, do you know what Google means? And I said, uh, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you know what Google means? And I said, well, I'm not sure. He says, well, Google it. I said, okay, I, I will Google it. So if you Google Google, you, you get this. The term Google itself is a creative spelling of Google, a number equal to 10 to the 100th power, or more colloquially, an unfathomable number. That's what Google is. Google was coined in the 1930s and is attributed to the nine-year-old nephew of American mathematician Edward Kasner. So the word Google actually means an unfathomable number. So that's why they use it for Google, because you can re look up anything you want to look. It's unfathomable what you can look up. And that's kind of what this means here when it says, you know, there's 10,000 times 10,000. It's an unfathomable number. And that day, in that time, if you wanted to say Google, you would say what's being said here about the number of angels, you would say that it's 10,000 times 10,000. So we just can't even count the numbers that are there. It was so great, this voice of a strong angel that's proclaiming and, and calling out says, the number's so big, we can't comprehend it, and the question that's going forth is who's worthy to open this scroll? And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll, to loose its seals. And no one in that giant, amazing crowd in heaven or on, or on the earth, or just in case under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. It's 
So they're, they're like, their heads go down, and the strong right hand of God is the scroll. And many believe there's only two things that come with seven seals, a title deed, or a last will and testament. So John says no one's willing to open it, or able to open it, or worthy to open it. And so his response is, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, scroll or to look at it. I wept. And it's not a sniffle. It's not a little, you know, eye-watering. Hey, are you crying? It's not that kind of cry. It's a deep emotional, the word is a deep emotional anguish. And the picture here is John knows what this scroll's about. Otherwise, he wouldn't be weeping. He understands what, what needs to happen. Some scholars say it's a, a symbol of the title deed to the earth. And, and the thought is, and you can process this for yourself, that there was a time when God in creation put man in a sinless, perfect environment, gave him dominion over the whole earth. You plant, you water, you harvest, you be fruitful, you multiply. You, you, you're over all the birds and the beasts and the fowls and the brim and the bass, all are subject to you. This is your thing. Have dominion. Multiply. Be fruitful. And through deception and rebellion and desire... He's led astray. You know the story of the garden. He disobeys. He falls. And this horrible thing occurs. There's a curse. There in Genesis. And the world changes. And it's never the same again. And many believe Adam in some way handed over the deed, the authority, the dominion he had to the enemy. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the enemy, Satan, being the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. Even when Satan was on the earth and Jesus was here in the flesh, he, he took him up. You remember this story? He took Jesus up to a high place and he said, see all these kingdoms of the world? They're mine. He said, I'll give them to you. All you have to do, Jesus, is bow down and worship me. And so many people believe that, 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 that Satan has dominion on the earth right now and, and that, that this is part of that thing that's in the hand of the, the right hand of the Father is he's got this title deed to restore the world, the last will and testament and purpose of God to, to bring mankind justice and release from all the things that are wrong in the world. And no one's found worthy. So John, John is, is, is weeping. The inequity of life, the scroll has to do with that. And deep inside, I think all of us, we say, something's wrong with our world. What's wrong? It doesn't take much for you and I to look around and see it. I mean, I've had the privilege of traveling and ministering in places like Haiti and went there many, many times and, and Guatemala and been through different, very impoverished areas and sickness and, uh, and then you come back home and the inequity of life. I mean, you go spend a, uh, two weeks in Haiti working in the villages there and looking at the kids and looking at the, the, the food situation and, then, and, and what they have to play with as kids. And then you come back to America and you just go, oh my gosh, 
what's wrong with this world? You know, we, every Christmas we have these shoe boxes out there, and, and you spend 7 or 10 or $20, whatever, and you fill it up with little gifts. And, and I've been in uh, Haiti when, when kids have gotten these boxes. And I'll tell you what, they're excited. You try giving one of your kids those boxes <laughs> for Christmas with $7 worth of stuff in it. See how excited they would be. Not very excited. And you think, what a crazy, upside-down world we live in. All the stuff that goes on in the world. So we think to ourselves, what's wrong? Children who are abducted and babies killed in the womb. Something's wrong when you walk out of a grocery store and you see all these pictures of kids and people who are missing or are abducted. You go, we've got a fallen, diseased, violent, stormy <laughs> world. It just is. So here's the father. He's got the scroll in his hand, and, and this is a picture when God is about, and you'll see that in chapter 6, he's about to set things right in the world that are so wrong. John is weeping. Here's why, listen. Here's why he's weeping. As long as the scroll stays sealed, the world will not be made right. The authority and the dominion will still be wrong. And, and these tears, I believe, that John is, is, is crying, go all the way back to Adam and Eve, weeping over the grave of their, their first son who has been killed there it goes all the way back to to the the people of Israel in bondage in Egypt and and the Pharaoh has given the edict that the firstborn son will be drowned in the Nile River and on and on the story goes of of drug overdoses and shootings and all the evil in the world. And and John is weeping to see a world that would finally be finished with death, evil, and sin. You can understand why he's weeping, if that's what's held in his hand. The, The final purpose, the title deed, so to speak. And all heads, it tells us here in verse four, so I wept much because no one was worthy to open and read the scroll or even to look at it. And as the story continues to unfold, one of the elders says to me in verse 5 to John, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Do not weep. And then he says, Behold, or, or, or look, stop crying. Look, there, there is one worthy, a lion, he says. He, he, he describes him, and he uses messianic language. He uses this, this language about the Messiah. He calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. This is describing his, his heritage and how it was prophesied that he would be the one that God would send. In all terms describing, so he has prevailed. He has been victorious, it says. He, 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 he's, he's worthy. He's prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And Jesus came to earth 
to live a sinless life. He took our place on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, for our disobedience. He rose from the dead. And now the book says, the elder, the root of David, the lion of Judah, the prophesied Messiah, behold, look, so to speak, and he says, and I looked, verse 6. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. The elder says, stop crying. Check it out. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And I looked and I didn't see a lion. I saw a lamb. What happened to the, to, to the lion, to the king? Now it's a lamb. I'm sure John thinks... Yeah, I'm going to look. I want to see this victorious lion. I want to see this, this amazing creature. And he looks. And it's a lamb. And then it goes on to say, and, and the lamb in verse 6 is one that looks as if he's been slain. Seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He looks and it's a lamb and he's all scarred. He's all pierced. It's the image of, of a crucified lamb. And, and it seems to me as John is there in heaven and he looks, the piercings are still predominant part of what heaven sees and what heaven celebrates. And the word for lamb here, it's an interesting word. This word is used for lamb 29 times, 29 times in the book of Revelation. The only other time it's ever used in the Bible, in the New Testament, is in the Gospel of John. Here it's used 29 times, this exact word for lamb, but it's used only once, and it's used by John, the writer of Revelation, in his Gospel, and it's used by Jesus after Peter had denied him three times. You remember that story. Peter denies. Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're out fishing. You guys know that story? I like to think of those guys more as surfers than fishermen. Because I identify more with that. Some of you are fishermen, I know. No offense. But I like to think Jesus walks up and they're all out there. He goes, hey, how's the surf? Oh, it's bad. So it's just ankle high. It's... Have you caught any good waves? We haven't caught any waves all, day, all night we've been out here. Yeah. Try over there by the pier. Lord, it's flat. But this is a fishing story. So, so they, they say, throw, throw, throw the net on the other side. Throw the net on the other side. Full of fish, paddle over by the pier. It's head high and glassy. <laughs> so, and, and Peter realizes he's had this scenario in his life before where he's thrown the net on the other side. He goes... It's the Lord. And he runs in. He knows he's denied him. He knows he's fallen. He knows he's failed. And Jesus asks him, you know the story, Jesus cooking breakfast. He, he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, he says Lord, you know, you know I love you. He says, then, then, then feed my sheep. And he asks him again in a few minutes, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Lord. He says, well, well feed, feed my sheep. And then he asks him the third time there by that charcoal fire. He says, Peter, do, do, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know all things. And he uses a different word this time. He says, feed my lambs. And it's the same word. 
The only time it's ever used in the New Testament other than here in Revelation, which means innocent lamb. He speaks of, of one who who's, needs to be protected, who, who's innocent. And that's the name that's used of Jesus here when he says, I turned and, and I saw a lamb, uh, an innocent lamb. And Jesus was slain and scarred. That's what he sees in heaven, pierced as one who was innocent of any wrong. And John is saying this, I, I looked and saw a slain, innocent Lamb, the whole, the whole sacrificial system that God raised up from the beginning of, of the Jewish nation uh, of innocent and trusting lambs. And God took a man and he made him a lamb who never sinned for all of us who always sin. And there he sees him scarred and pierced. And this whole scene continues to unfold for John. He's there in heaven. And we move forward. He, he stopped weeping. He, he sees the lamb. He, 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 the horns of power. The, the all-knowing seeing eyes. And, and, and as, we, as we continue the movement, it says, Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, and I want to just say a word about the harp. When, when you think about harp, it's not one of those big harps where you, you know, have this kind of deal going. This would, the, the, the word here actually is like a, it's like a little harp. It's like a little guitar. So these guys have guitars. And they're, they're bowing down. They, they've got golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you've got these small guitars. You've got these Golden bowls of incense. And they sang, it says here, a new song. Listen to what's going on. You've got music playing. You've got sweet-smelling incense rising. And they're singing, you are worthy to take the scroll. This is the song to open its seals, for you were slain, you're an innocent lamb, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So here, let, let me have your attention. Here's John, he's in heaven. He's taken all this in. This is an amazing thing that's happening. He's the, the scroll, he's weeping. You know, the, finally the lamb is seen, he's pierced, he's worthy. And now he's hearing heaven sing. Now he's seeing heaven bow down. Now he's smelling heaven as the incense rise and worship is beginning and this message in the bowls it says is the prayer of the saints. Now stay with me. I want you to listen to this part. When the lamb who is worthy and has the authority and the ability and the power because he was innocent, because he was slain, takes the scroll this is a sign, this, this is the beginning that God is about to make all things right again. God's about to bring justice on the earth. The prayer of the saints, these golden bowls, begin to fill the room. All the prayers, I think, that go all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve. God make things right. God make things whole. God avenge the innocent. God 
stop this violence, all the prayers that have been going on since the beginning of time. Now the lamb steps forward. He's going to unloose these seals. And, and, and Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. And the prayers are rising. And, and the end is almost here. You'll see it in Revelation chapter 6. And God is now hearing these prayers in a way he's never heard them before. And let me just say something about prayer. When I, when I first became a Christian... Now, I didn't come from a church background. I wasn't brought up by a pastor and, hey, one day I'm going to be a pastor. I was very much not a pastor. And when I became a Christian, I, I started attending a church. It was a very Pentecostal church. I didn't know anything about churches. And I would listen to people pray. And those people prayed loud. They play, prayed hard. And, and I thought, if God's going to hear you, you've got to be intense you got to be, oh, God, because that's how they prayed. I thought, wow, God must be hard of hearing. <laughs> but he's not, I found out. He can hear the quietest, softest prayer. And then I found out you don't have to add, like, King James language to it either. And God, uh, they used to add a little uh on the back of every one. I mean, if you've been in a church like that, where, and God, uh, Thou knoweth that if thou heareth my prayer, you have to add that that's on the end of it. It's like you lift a little bit. Does God have a lisp? I don't know. But God's not stuck in the 16th century. He's not King Jamesy. But God does hear prayer, and he, and he answers prayer. And I believe God answers prayer in three ways. Sometimes he says yes, like a parent, your kid Sometimes, if you're fortunate, we'll come to you and, you know, ask you for your yes. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes it takes them a while. And they'll finally come and say, hey, will you help me with this? And say, yeah, I wish you would have asked. And sometimes we're like that. We run all around and try to do our thing instead of just coming to the Lord and just waiting and have him say, yeah. Sometimes he says No. We go to God and, and, and say, God, could I have this? Would you allow me to do this? And God sometimes goes, are you out of your mind? You'd destroy yourself if I gave you that. No. Other times he says, wait. As he's working and building character, as God is, works all things together for the good and, and circumstances have to be just right, God's not just working with you. He's working with other people too. He worked through a whole Jewish nation. He's, he's working through the world. Lord, 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 you know, you can come to him and say, say God, I, 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 this is it. I, I remember when I was in Bible college, I met this, the first girl I met there, I thought, this is it. She's the one. God, can you give me her? And God says, not sure you really want her. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I do. He said, well, I can make it happen. But I think you'd rather wait. Thank God I waited. And God has timing. These prayers and these golden bowls have not been fulfilled. And I believe they're prayers of justice. They're prayers of righteousness. God, make it right. Stop the murdering. Stop the hate. Stop the diseases. Stop the deception. 
Now we've all said, we've all heard, we've all said in our lives one time or another, this just isn't fair. We all have a sense of fairness. And here's the bowl, and, and God has given time, he's gracious, but God's also just. And now this lamb will open the scroll, and those prayers will be heard, and justice will prevail. And here's the scene. Go back to chapter 5. And they sang a new song. Verse 9, you're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. You were innocent lamb, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and, and, and people. Finally, one who, who's, who's worthy, who's qualified. You were slain. That's why you're worthy. You were innocent. And, and he says, and God, you're not a respecter of, of people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. You will make it right again for your people. They'll have dominion again. And then he describes the crowd as we read earlier. I looked and I heard the voice of angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And the song continues as he's taking us all in. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Well, doesn't he already have all that? Doesn't he already have all these things that he's worthy to receive? Power, riches, and wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing? I mean, even when Jesus walked on the earth, he had power. He could say to the wind and to the waves, be still. He could walk on water. He had riches. I mean, he could, he could say to one of his disciples, hey, just, just go down to the Sea of Galilee and you'll find a fish and in the mouth will be a gold coin. Jesus could do that kind of stuff. Wisdom, he has wisdom. He, he spoke like no man ever spoke. We never heard anyone teach like this. And God does not need our worship. But what it's saying here is he's, he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Yes, he has all these things, but he's worthy of our praise and our honor. In the final hours before tribulation, before justice begins in chapter 6, this, this song is going forward. And every creature, verse 13 which is in heaven and on earth and under earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, blessing, honor, glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And this lamb will always be central, never goes away. Forever and ever and ever, the song says. Kings come and go. Caesars rise up and fall away. Presidents come and go. All those with wealth and authority, they're temporary. 
It, it closes out, but to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And, and then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders, verse 14, fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And God uses this innocent lamb to redeem, to one day set all things right. And God uses an innocent lamb to come after his greatest treasure, you and I, to redeem us, to cleanse us, to forgive us. You and I lost treasure in a dark world. And his message and his mercy goes out to all the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And God is after you and I, and he's merciful. He's slow to anger. But as we see here in chapter 5, as the seals are being opened and those, those prayers for justice are rising up, God one day will act. In fact, I'll just read the first verse of chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Perfect timing. <laughs> and I looked and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and went out conquering and to conquer. Now listen. Thundering. Sitting on a white horse, he's no longer pictured as an innocent lamb. Now he is a king with a crown, and he's on a white horse, and he's coming back to set things straight. That's the story. You, you go through chapter 5, and you see John, he's, he's like seeing all this going on in heaven, the seals, he can't figure it out, he's weeping, and finally he realizes there's an innocent lamb who's not just qualified, not just capable, but the only one worthy, and there's a big difference, to open the seals. And when he does, God now begins to hear the worship and the praise and the adoration and all that, 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 that is due him because he's worthy. And, and he begins to, to hear those prayers from ancient times. Lord, you know, set things right. Be merciful. God, God, bring justice on our world. Make things that are so wrong right. And now that the church is in heaven, that's the picture in chapter 4 and 5. And the seals are beginning to be open. The King of kings and the Lord of lords steps onto that white horse, and he's coming back to set things right on the earth. And to that we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.